whenever you walked into the service that uh, the, the building sort of decorated for a movie theme, and we are beginning a new series of messages called At the Movies, and so we are beginning today, as you may, may have guessed with the intro, with Star Wars The Force Awakens. Now, I don't know how many of you are Star Wars fans. Uh, probably one of the biggest Star Wars fans that I know is Chris Jernigan. He's the guy that plays guitar over here. He actually came into church today with like five Star Wars shirts, and he divvied them out to the band so that they could be wearing their Star Wars garb, and he owns the Han Solo out in the lobby out there. So he's a big, he's a big fan. I was a fan, you know, when I was like seven, and uh, I remember um, when the movie first came out, it's 1977, and uh, I, I went and saw the movie Star Wars, I, I, think, I think I saw it seven times, like in the first like two weeks. I was such a fan, I was so excited about it. Uh, but as the new movies came out, and I haven't figured out the numbering system, but like episodes one, two, and three, I did not see those movies, and I hadn't seen the new ones. And then my son Glenn told me that I had to watch uh, Star Wars: The Force Awakens. Now, if you you don't even have to be a Star Wars fan, but you are, I'm sure that you're pretty familiar with the saying, you know, "May the Force be with you." Right? Y'all know that one. Okay, so here's the question: What is the Force? I mean, what exactly is that? Well, Obi-Wan Kenobi has a quote on this. And so I never thought I'd be quoting Obi-Wan Kenobi in church, but I'm going to. He said, the force is what gives a Jedi his power. It's an energy field created by all living things. It surrounds us and penetrates us. It binds the galaxy together. Now, that is the force in the movie. And in the movie, The Force Awakens, you know, there's some questions about when did the Force awaken in the movie. And so the star of the movie, I think is, her name's Ray. The Force, she realizes that she has the Force with her. She's able to do powerful things. But as I thought about that, I thought, you know what? As Christians, we have a Force within us as well. And it is the Holy Spirit who indwells every believer and as the Holy Spirit works in us and empowers us, it enables us to do great and mighty things in the name of Jesus. And yet what I'm afraid of is that as time has gone by, there are many of us who have allowed the Holy Spirit to remain dormant in our lives. And so what we see in our world today is darkness. And that is, what, that is what the force is. It's trying to get rid of the darkness of Darth Vader. But whenever you get into Scripture, we want to get rid of the darkness of this world that blinds people. And if it's going to happen, I really believe this, it's going to come down to Christians. It's going to come down to the church. And more specifically, it's going to come down to Village Church. Having the force of the Holy Spirit awaken within us that we might eradicate through the power of God, darkness. Now, today in our passage of Scripture, we're going to see Paul discussing with the Ephesian church the idea of light overtaking darkness. And it's pretty obvious to me that this job falls to followers of God. It is the job, it is the mission of Christians to be a light in a dark world. And so if you have your Bible, we're going to look today in Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to look in verses 6 through 14. And if you turn there, I just, I'll, I'll give you a little background information. Paul's the guy who traveled to Ephesus, which is it's in modern-day Turkey now. And he went there. He started a church. 
He stayed with the people there for three years, and then he left to go start other churches. But whenever he left, there were some, some other people that came into the church. He started teaching things that weren't true. And so Paul wrote them this letter, encouraging the Ephesian Christians to remain, to remain true to their faith. Now, when Paul wrote this letter, once again, Paul is in prison. He's in prison in Rome because of his faith. And he's telling the people in Ephesus, remain strong in your faith. Now, if this is me and I'm reading the letter, I'd be thinking, why? I mean, the only thing that's happened for Paul in being faithful to God is it seems like every time you turn around, Paul's in prison, he's getting beat up or something like that. But as I look into our text today, I see that Paul is telling us, regardless of our circumstances, we are called to live in power. We are called to be a light in darkness. And we live in a dark world. And I can give you a lot of different examples. I'm, you know, I'm not going to try to depress everybody here. But we already know that we live in, in a dark world where things that used to, we used to think things that were right, we now call them wrong. And things that we used to think of as being wrong, we now call them right. And so there's a lot of darkness in the world. And so how can Christians be a light in the midst of so much darkness? Well, let's look at our scripture today. And I see that in our scripture we see some callings that we have from God to be light in a dark world. So where does it all begin? Well, if we're going to be light in the midst of a dark world, it begins with this, knowing the truth. If we're going to be light in darkness, we have to know the truth. And I want to read to you in verses 6 and 7. It says, Let no one deceive you with empty arguments, for because of these things, God's wrath is coming on the disobedient. Therefore, do not become their partners. In other words, don't become partners with darkness. And Paul also said this. He said, do not be deceived by empty arguments. Now, the empty arguments the church in Ephesus was being deceived by is whenever Paul left, there were some new guys that came in, and they started teaching some rather interesting things. They started telling them, now, some, there's a kernel of truth. They said, God, God loves you. When you follow God, you are always his. That's true. But then they said, but it doesn't matter how you live because of that. You can live in immorality. You can be greedy. You can be mean. You can be all these different things. You can live as you choose because the God we serve is a God who is a God of love. Now, God is a God of love, but in that kind of approach, Paul had some very stern words for the people. And in verse number 6, he shared the truth with the people, and he said that you need to know that God's wrath will come on those who are disobedient. Now, that word wrath, it means punishment. Now, anytime we talk about God, I would prefer to just skip the punishment part. You know, I, I like to focus on the love part. How about y'all? You know, there's a, lot of, there's, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of truth in that movie with, I shouldn't even bring it up, but Talladega Nights, whenever they pray to baby Jesus. Everybody loves baby Jesus, but when you talk about the Jesus of the cross, we start getting a little bit nervous there. You know, we, we, we like the God of love, and there's no doubt that God is a God of love. He's absolutely a God of love. First John 4, 8 tells us that God is love, but God is also just. He is righteous. Now, I like justice. I like justice when I've been wronged. You know when I don't like justice? When it applies to me. You know, I like it when it applies to you, but when it comes to me, I'm like, hey, I need grace, Lord. Now, he needs justice, but I need grace. 
But the Bible lets us know that God will always deal with sin that has not been paid for. He will always deal with sin in our lives that has not been repented from. That's why Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. Now we like to avoid that and when it comes to God's justice we like to put blinders on and to hide from the justice of God. Let me, t- let me give you an example of how we enjoy or how we like being tricked. And, and I'm, I'm right there with everybody else. Have you ever noticed that whenever you fill up your car with gas, when you fill it all the way up, have you noticed how it sort of hangs around the F, you know, full for a long time? It just sort of hangs around there and it kind of slowly goes down. But what happens when it hits about half a tank? I mean, it's like the bottom drops out. Like, what happened there? You know, do I have like a hole in my gas tank? But what, what's going on? Now, here's what's interesting. Did you know that was done on purpose? Engineers did that on purpose. And the reason why is because of us. Uh, that They did that on purpose because we like it when we fill up our gas, uh, our gas tank full, and we like it to seem like we're getting good gas mileage. So they play a trick on us, and they let it hang around there for a long time. But eventually, I mean, you gotta, you got to pay the piper, right? Eventually, you just you can't have gas forever. And so when it hits half a tank, it just starts flying down. Now, that's, that's an example of how we like deception. We don't like the truth. We want to feel like we are always running on a full tank. And the same thing is true spiritually. We like the idea of a benevolent God who's going to allow us to live any way that we want to, and He doesn't care what we do. Now, God does love us just as we are. Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrates his own love towards us in this, in that while we were yet sinners. The Bible says Christ died for us. Now we'd all agree that's, that's awesome. But, but here's the thing. When we become followers of Jesus, something happens. You know what happens? The Bible says you die to your old way of life. And you turn away from your sin and you live in the light of Jesus. Now, is that easy to do? Nope. That's hard to do. You know, I'm always looking for an easier path. But guys, let me tell you something. Just because something is easier does not mean that it's better. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. So so then what is the motivation for me to not walk in deception? Here's the motivation. Know the truth. Know what God's Word has to say. God's Word is truthful, and it will tell you that God loves you, but it will also tell you God is just. So if we're going to be a light in darkness, we have to know the truth. But not just simply know the truth, we are also called to live the truth. And that's what verses 8 through 10 points out to us. It says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light results in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, discerning what is pleasing to the Lord. Now verse number 8 should should clear everything up for us in letting us know that there is no such thing as one person being better than another person. I am not superior to you, and you are not superior to me. Verse number 8 tells us, it says, You once were darkness. Now, when Paul said this, he wasn't talking about to, the, you know, to the, the really mean people out in the world. He's writing this letter to the church. Paul says, you were darkness. He didn't say you were in darkness. He says you were darkness. What does that mean? 
It means that it is in your nature and my nature to live in defiance of God. It is in my nature to be disobedient to the leadership of God. Ephesians 2.3 tells me that it, we are by nature objects of God's wrath. But whenever we become followers of Jesus, you know what Jesus does in your life? He sweeps the darkness out of your life. How does he do that? It's because of who he is. Well, who is he? Well, he explained it to us in John 8, 12. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is the light. When he comes into your life, he shines a light on you so that the darkness goes away. You know, that's what always happens. Whenever you go into your room at night, it's dark, you flip the switch on, what happens? Light comes on, where's the darkness go? It disappears. It doesn't, it doesn't just like half of it hang out in your room. You know, when you turn the light on, darkness is gone. It is swept away. Now, whenever Jesus comes into your life, he changes your condition. Now, what's your condition pre-Jesus? It's sinful. Your condition pre-Jesus is, is to be separated from God. It is to owe a debt of sin that you cannot pay. But whenever you submit yourself to Jesus, he will shine his light on you and he will erase the darkness from your life. Now, for those of you who have kids, you know what it's like walking in darkness and, and what kind of dividends you reap from that. You know, whenever your kids were little, I, you know, our kids, they, they liked Hot Wheels and all these kind of little toys and, and they would leave them in the room. And if you walked in, I, would walk, I remember I'd walk into my kid's room to kiss them goodnight, and if the lights were off, inevitably, I would step on a Hot Wheel. And that is, you get real close to losing your religion whenever that happens. All right, so you're like, you want to turn on the light, but you don't want to wake up your kids. So you're like, what do I do? And you just go ahead and suck it up and just live in pain. So children, you owe your mother and I. And so, but whenever you turn the light on, you're able to see. Now, if you turn the light on and you see all the obstacles that are before you, what does the light enable you to do? To walk in a clear path, right? I mean, you don't ever turn on the light and say, oh, there's a hot wheel, and walk over and step on it. You don't do that. That'd be stupid. When you turn the light on, you're able to see. Therefore, you are able to avoid all the pitfalls. Well, that's, that's exactly what God does in our lives. When his light comes on in our lives, then we have a new path on which we are able to walk. It just naturally is going to happen. Now, now what happens? What kind of path do we walk on when the light shines on us? Paul says you will walk in goodness, righteousness, and truth. And we start off with goodness. That is an attribute of God. As a matter of fact, Galatians 5.22 tells us that one of the fruits of the Spirit of being a follower of Jesus is that you will have goodness in your life. Now here's one thing that I like about that. It's called a fruit of the Spirit. That means that it has to grow. So some of you might be saying, man, I'm not as good as I'd like to be. Well, I'm not either. But it is a fruit that is growing as I walk with God. So I don't have that pressure of, you know, I'm not a fully, fully developed goodness fruit. But I'm, I'm getting there. It's taking time. So as I, as I have the light of Jesus shine on me, there's going to be goodness. There's going to be righteousness. What is righteousness? It's pointing out those things that are right. It's being fair and just in how we treat others. The corollary of that is, is truth. As the light of Jesus shines on you, you're going to have truth in your life. That means that you're going to walk in integrity. That doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect. 
But what it does mean is that you're going to be moving farther and farther away from darkness as you mature in your walk with Jesus. But the only way that that can happen is if the Holy Spirit is working through your life to produce these things in your life. That's why Jesus said it's so important to remain in Him so that He can work through us. In John 15, verses 4 and 5, Jesus said, Remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. That makes sense to me. If I'm going to produce the fruit of righteousness and truth and be in the light, then I have to be attached to Jesus. I have to live for him. Now you might say, well, I know some people who claim to be followers of Jesus, but I look at their lives and like everybody else. You know, I look at them and they they're greedy, they're mean, they're always looking out just for themselves. How's that possible? Now I can't judge anybody's heart, but what I can do is I can judge fruit. Jesus said you're going to know who his followers are by what they produce in their lives. And so for a person who says they are a follower of Jesus and yet they're not producing fruit in their lives, then I'd have to say then that person ought to really take stock and find out, am I really a follower of Jesus? You see, because whenever we are touched by Jesus, we become different. We don't mess with darkness because we now live in the light. And so if I become a follower of Jesus, then I become more and more like him. It doesn't mean I'm exactly like him right now. It just means that I'm maturing and moving in that direction. Now the question is, for you and for me, is, are we maturing? You know, do we, are we maturing in our walk with Jesus? You know, I, I've shared this before, but probably the most uh, popular exotic fish that people buy to put in their aquariums are sharks. Now, you can, you can have a, just a fish tank, you can put a shark in there. Have you ever noticed, have you never, I'm, I'm sure you've never seen like somebody with a fish tank and an eight-foot shark crammed in there. I mean, that just doesn't happen. You get a shark, you put it in there. A shark, depending on the size of the tank, will just simply grow really in proportion to the size of the tank. So you can have a tank and there can be a fully mature shark in that tank that's six inches long. But if you take that same shark and you throw him in the ocean, you know what will happen to him? He'll, he'll grow to his full potential. He'll end up growing to, he can be an eight-foot-long shark. Now, if we choose to live within the confines of this world under our own power, under our own control, guys, we are going to end up being smaller than God ever intended for us to be. But whenever we put ourselves under his leadership then we are able to grow and mature to our full potential for which God has made us. What's our full potential? It is to be a light that shines in a world of darkness so that our world can see clearly and be transformed by the power of God. So, so how can we do that? We have to know the truth. As Christians, we have to know what God's Word says. We have to not just simply know it, we are called to live the truth. And then here's the final calling we have. We are to share the truth. We are to share it. Now look with me in verse number 11. Paul wrote, Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it's shameful even to mention what is done by them in secret. Everything exposed by the light is made clear. For what makes everything clear is light. 
Therefore it is said, get up sleeper and rise from the dead, and the Messiah will shine on you. Now we just had vacation Bible school, and I remember as a kid, one of the first songs that I ever learned in vacation Bible school was this little light of mine. Y'all remember that song? Okay, this little light of mine, what are you going to do with it? And we'll let it shine. Hide it under a bushel? Y'all did better in first service. They, they just sat there. Yeah, no. What are you going to do? You're going you're gonna to let it shine. If you've got a light, you don't hide it. If you've got a light, you're going to let it shine. That's why I think it's interesting. Paul said, do not mess around with the fruitless deeds of darkness. Yeah, we're not supposed, we're not supposed to be hanging around in darkness. We're to be in the light. And he, I, I, he, he, I like that he used the phrase fruitless deeds of darkness. You cannot grow fruit in dark, in the dark. And the, you don't, nothing grows in the dark. If you, want, if you want fruit to grow, you put it in the light. And whenever that happens, that fruit will grow. And then the, the, the life around that fruit, they can partake of that fruit. And it produces life for them as well. Okay, church, that's us. We are in the light so that God's light will shine on us so that we can share a message of life with the people that are around us so that they can have life as well. See, Jesus has a command for us. He has an identification for us. In Matthew 5, 14 through 16, this is what Jesus said to his followers, to the church. He said, you are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. And I think, if, that, if we live by that, why, why do we have so much darkness today? Why is, why is, there, so, why is there so much darkness and I'd say it's because just in general, as believers and churches, we're not shining the light. We're hiding the light. You know, I read an article in National Geographic in a 2016, April 2016 article. Here's what it said. It said, the religiously unaffiliated called nuns, N-O-N-E-S, are growing significantly. They're the second largest religious group in North America and most of Europe. In the United States, nuns make up almost a quarter of the population. In the past decade, U.S. nuns have overtaken Catholics, mainline Protestants, and all followers of non-Christian faiths. How is that happening? Light's not being shined. Now, Village Church, our calling as a church, we said as a church, we are going to engage culture. If we're going to engage culture, then that means we get where people are and we shine truth. It doesn't mean that we mix with culture and act like them. We get with them, and we are loving, and we are kind, and we speak truth. And we said at Village Church, you know, how do we do that at Village Church? We're trying to figure this out. You know, how we can really be effective, how we can be a light in the midst of darkness. And so last year we said we're going to come up with uh, some ideas of how we can hone in on our ministries to really do this. So we came up with C4. He said, in our C4 ministry, that's how we're going to engage culture. We're going to engage culture through our campus ministries, in our community service, in our care ministries, and in our civic process. Now, why, why is it important that we do that? Because of what verse 13 says. It says, everything exposed by the light is made clear. We want to shine the light so that people can see, uh, clearly see that they need Jesus, just like we do. We need to be focused. As a church, 
not get caught up in peripheral issues, of things that, you know, that I have personal preferences for. We need to be about the main thing, which is being a light in darkness. I, I read a story about a man named Pliny the Elder, who was a writer during, during basically the same time period as Jesus. And he was writing about a king who was going to have an obelisk set, you know, like the Washington Monument thing. And uh, so to do it, it was going to take, it was 99 feet tall, it was going to take 20,000 slaves to pull it up. Now, it took years for them to build the obelisk, and so he wanted to make sure the engineer was focused on his job, because if it fell over, it was years of work that would have been wasted. So to make sure that the engineer had his attention fully on the job, he had the engineer's son strapped to the top of the obelisk. And so as they raised it, can you, do you think the engineer was paying attention? Unless he just maybe didn't like his son. No, he did. So he, they're raising the obelisk, and his focus, his attention, all the peripheral things, he didn't care about the peripheral things. He cared about keeping the main thing, the main thing, getting the obelisk to stand upright. All right, Village Church, we need focus like that. The kind of focus where we understand we live in a dark world that needs light. Now, we can hide and we can fool ourselves and trick ourselves into thinking everything's just fine. Let me tell you something, everything's not just fine. We have young people who are lost. And they don't even know the truth because they've never heard it before. We have people who are older who are damaged and depressed because they've gone through life. And they've only known hurt and bitterness. Not knowing that there is a God who loves them. And Village Church, it is our responsibility, it is my responsibility to be a light. See, it's time for the force to awaken. We've been saying this for years. Man, it's true. And the force that needs to awaken is the force that is inside the church, the Holy Spirit of God, who can transform and change lives. So, What's the challenge for us? Well, we live in a dark world that needs light. So how do, how do we engage that? We have to know the truth and know God's word. We have to live the truth and to be willing to share the truth. Now, let me close with this. Do you know the truth? Do, do, you, know, do you know Jesus? Not just about him, but has he transformed your life? Has he changed you? See, Jesus identifies himself as the truth, and if you'd like to know the truth, it means you must connect yourself to him.